Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today begins in Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. Then after his return from the defeat of Kedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of all. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me, and take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or sandal thong or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten, and the share of the men who were with me, Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their share. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Within the depths of every man is a deep longing for God. The tragedy of our life is that we lose the focus of that longing and desire something less than God. We stumble through life searching desperately for something or someone to satisfy us, unaware that our true longing is for a personal, life-transforming relationship with God himself. Abram, in Genesis chapter 14 and 15, finds his joy in God. He longs and yearns after God. He realizes that God is the one he desires and directs his life accordingly. We pick up the story just after Abram has returned from rescuing his nephew Lot from enemy forces. Verse 17 says, Then after his return from the defeat of Kedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, and Melchizedek king of Salem brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. Before Abram is greeted by the king of Sodom, he is met by another local ruler, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Who is Melchizedek? The New Testament teaches us who he is in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abram as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abram appointed a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness 
and then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Let's look carefully at these verses. Remember that the Bible is a treasure chest of riches, and sometimes we need to do a little digging to discover the treasure. In understanding the person of Melchizedek, what is said about him is just as important as what is not said about him. First, we know he was a real king who ruled over Salem, whose name means in Hebrew righteousness. The word Salem means peace. So Melchizedek was a righteous king of peace. Not only was he a righteous king of peace, but also he was a priest of the Most High God. God has created all men to be priests in their own homes, bringing God's wise rule into the world and offering all of creation in grateful praise to its maker. In addition to being a priest in his own home, Melchizedek was called to be a sacred priest of the public worship of God, offering sacrifices for himself and his people. Now, what is the purpose of the writer of the book of Hebrews mentioning Melchizedek? His purpose is to show us the eternal priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason he is talking about the eternal priesthood of the Lord Jesus is because he is arguing in the book of Hebrews that the salvation procured by the obedience of the Lord is available to all who obey and follow him. Because the readers of the book of Hebrews were in danger of falling away from the faith, the author urges them to persevere in faith and be loyal to Christ because they have an eternal high priest who daily helps them stay in union with God and obey him. Now, verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 7 says that Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. This does not mean that Melchizedek literally had no parents, or that he was an angel in disguise, but that nothing is said about his father, mother, or genealogy, because this is not what is important about Melchizedek. His importance lies in the fact that he appears as king of Salem and priest of God Most High, and then quickly disappears. That is all that God wants us to know about him. Melchizedek functions in the Bible as an Old Testament symbol or foreshadowing of our Lord Jesus in the New Testament. Just as Melchizedek is said to have no father or mother on account that he has no family history, so the Lord Jesus Christ had no earthly father or mother and no family history. Just as Melchizedek brought out bread and wine to feed Abram, so our Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed his own body and blood to redeem us from sin and then continually feeds us with his body and blood in the communion. Melchizedek, as king, gave Abram and his soldiers bread and wine to nourish them and show the hospitality so important in Eastern culture. As priest, he offered bread and wine to foreshadow the gift of our Lord's body and blood, with which we are fed the medicine of immortality 
and strengthened to grow in grace. In this chapter, Melchizedek is in contrast to the king of Sodom. Melchizedek, as a type of Christ in the Old Testament, blesses the God of Abram. This blessing was given that we might learn more of Christ and his blessing in our lives. Even as the greater blesses the lesser, so Melchizedek blessed Abram and through Abram Aaron the head of the Old Testament order of priests. Melchizedek, as a type of Christ in the Old Testament, therefore shows that Christ's priesthood is superior to the Old Testament Mosaic system. Melchizedek also receives from Abram a tithe of all he owned. Both of these actions teach us more about our Lord Jesus Christ, whom Melchizedek represents. God the Father has raised up his Son, Jesus Christ, to bless us greatly with the gift of salvation. And not only does he bless us, but he feeds us with his own body and blood as we eat his spiritual food in union and communion with him. Then in verse 21, the king of Sodom offers to give Abram goods and possessions as a reward for his delivering him from his enemy. But Abram wisely refuses. Abram showed his complete detachment from worldly wealth because he knew that God Most High had given him everything he had, and he loved God supremely, not just the wealth that God gave him. Abram said, I will take nothing that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. He rejects worldly pleasures to seek the things that are eternal and permanent. Abram shows himself to be a citizen of heaven, a temporary sojourner on the earth and not a resident of this world. Abram looks not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, not to earthly things, but to heavenly things. He is saying to the king of Sodom, It was not for a reward from you that I went out to war, but out of love for my nephew and to rescue those who were wrongfully carried away by the enemy. God gave me the victory and enabled me to conquer. Therefore, I give all the praise and glory to God Most High. St. Ambrose lived 340 to 397, a third century church father. He wrote about this story with these words. It makes a great difference whether one has fought for money or for fame. In one case, a person will be regarded as a mercenary. In the other case, he will be deemed worthy of fame as a deliverer. Abraham wisely steered clear of both money and fame and instead rightly attributed victory to God's help. He gave credit where credit belonged. If we are to faithfully follow God, we too must steer clear of both money and fame. Money and fame have seduced many into departing from the faith and becoming worldly. We must cling closely to our Lord Jesus and not be distracted by these temptations. The king of Sodom offers Abram worldly advantage in a business-like offer. 
But Abram refuses to compromise his faith and fail in his mission. He proves himself faithful to the Lord. He wanted to teach the king of Sodom a lesson. He shows the king that he is above the gifts offered to him. He wants him to understand that it is God Most High who has blessed him and not a human provider. The king of Sodom is a pagan unbeliever. Abram discerned that dealing with him would be unwise and perhaps make him subject to this king. He wants the king to understand that he desires the fulfillment of God's promises in his life and not the passing riches of wealth and reward. Even so, obedient followers of the Lord Jesus must turn away from the things of this world and depend entirely upon God for true spiritual riches. And so, as chapter 15 begins, God rewards Abram's faithfulness. He comes to Abram in a vision by night and says, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Abram had exposed himself to possible reprisals by the four kings he had defeated. He might likely dread the return of the enemy in full force to avenge their defeat. Therefore, God speaks directly to his fears to meet his present need. This is the kindness of our God. He always comes to us and gives us what we most need at the moment whether it be comfort or wisdom or guidance or strength or protection. He promises to defend us, to preserve us in safety under his hand and to protect us by his power. Then since Abram refused worldly wealth, it is as though God is saying, you refuse to accept reward for the troubles you suffered in exposing yourself to such great risks. You scorned the king and the reward he offered you. Now I will provide you with a reward that is exceedingly great. Now listening friend, what is this exceedingly great reward? It is the gift of God himself who fills our hearts with the joy and gladness of his presence. The dwelling of God in the life of the follower of Jesus Christ is something very precious much more precious than any earthly possession. David speaks of this in Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Listening friend, do you know the closeness and joy and goodness that comes from God living inside of you? listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true 
heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in him. Let's continue our lesson. Abram cherished his relationship with God and longed to live in close union with him. He responds to God in verse 2. O oh Lord God, what wilt thou give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Notice that Abram doesn't ask God for riches or for a long life or for power. Rather, he asks for an heir who can carry on the vision that God had given to him. Abram has his eye on the promised seed, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come through the line of Abram. So God takes Abram outside and tells him that this man, Eliezer, will not be his heir. He says to Abram, look up to the heavens and count the stars. So shall your descendants be. Abram looks up into the heavens and God shows him the innumerable stars shining in the night sky. In that moment, a peace and confidence in the presence of the Lord floods the soul of Abram. Then comes verse 6 of our chapter, one of the most wonderful verses in the entire Old Testament. Then Abram believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. The word believed in this verse literally means to steady oneself by leaning hard on something. So the word picture is a vivid example of true belief. A man begins to totter on his feet, and he leans hard upon his walking stick to steady him. So we lean our whole weight upon God and his promises and become upheld by him, solid as a rock. True belief goes far beyond intellectual assent. It must include active trust and leaning upon God. Then notice that the object of faith is a person, God himself. Faith does not grasp a concept or a doctrine, but a living person. The Lord Jesus is revealed in the Bible to be grasped and understood, but we must enter into a living relationship with him. We must love and adore him as a person in order to be saved. Then notice the magnificent statement of justification by faith in the phrase, he counted it to him for righteousness. Long before Moses and the law and the Ten Commandments, God revealed that the way to be right with him is by trusting him and not because of our own good works. God saw Abram's trust in him. He saw his reliance upon him. He saw his yearning to live in union with him and counted that as righteousness. And where did Abram's trust, reliance, and yearning to live in union with God come from? It was the gift of God. Faith 
grafts us into the vine of Christ so that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. Faith clothes us in the garment of salvation and then gives us the power to daily work out that salvation in our character and conduct. Abram simply chose to believe the promise of God and righteousness was given to him. This verse is quoted four times in the New Testament to teach the principle of justification by faith. Faith is the channel, not the source of justification. It was by the look of faith that the dying Israelites lived when they turned their eyes upward to the bronze serpent in the book of Numbers. But it was God who gave them healing. God freely gives us salvation in Christ. What hinders us from receiving that salvation is unbelief. Many people today would rather believe a lie than believe the truth that God has provided salvation freely for all who believe in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to verses 7 to 21, we need to see that the whole rest of chapter 15 is the result of Abram's believing in God and resting upon his promise. The wonderful truth this teaches us is that faith is rewarded by more loving manifestations of God's presence in our lives. The more we trust in the Lord, the more he reveals himself to us. The covenant that God makes with Abram is not only God binding himself to fulfill the promises he already made, but his entering into a sweeter and deeper personal relationship with Abram. God tells Abram to take animals and cut them in half, laying the two parts opposite each other. This was a customary practice in the Middle East when making covenants, so that both parties could walk between the pieces. This was a symbolic way of saying that if either party failed to keep the terms of the covenant, may they die and be cut in two. But in this instance, God puts Abram to sleep and walks himself between the pieces, showing that he will be fully responsible to fulfill the terms of his covenant. God does not give us his blessings in exchange for our gifts. God himself plans, initiates, and sustains our salvation. We have nothing to do but take what he has given and obey his commands. It is our joy and privilege to embrace the covenant of salvation by throwing our whole reliance upon God and leaning trustingly upon him. God has done everything well. He has confirmed his promise by the mighty sacrifice of his only son. If we apply this to our Lord Jesus in the New Testament, we see that Jesus Christ is both God and man. In his death, the manhood and the godhood are parted, and by his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus walks between them and unites us with them so that we become partakers of his nature. Even as God himself fulfills the covenant with Abraham in the Old Testament, so the Lord Jesus Christ himself fulfills the new covenant with those who love and obey him in the New Testament. This is the significance of the image of the smoking oven and the flaming torch in verse 17. 
Didymus, the early church father, says, God's presence brings burning to some and illumination to others. Those who abandon God are burned with fire. Those who turn to him are enlightened and illumined by the truth. The burning, smoking oven symbolizes the day of judgment where there will be weeping and gnashing over sins. 1 Peter 4.18 says, If the righteous scarcely be saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Our Lord Jesus is the light of the world who enlightens every man who comes into the world with God's truth. He is also the judge of all men who will burn with fire those who do not repent and believe upon him. This is a sobering truth, my friends. To the hearts that love him, God is a beautiful, radiant, illuminating light. But to those who do not love him, he is a painful, threatening darkness. In the story of the people of Israel at the Red Sea, the flaming pillar of God was light for Israel on their side, but darkness for the Egyptians on their side. The person of God is a great joy to some and a great dread to others. Light can be pleasing and healing, or it can bring pain and discomfort. Everything depends upon the condition of our hearts before God. He is indescribable delight and blessedness to those who love him. He is a continual torment to those who love darkness rather than light. Therefore, the takeaway from this chapter is that we may enter into closest friendship with God. Our deepest longing for transforming relationship with God is satisfied in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham is called the friend of God in Isaiah 41.8. Jesus calls those who love him his friends in John 15.14. God is calling us to the great privilege of being his friends. This is incredible and unthinkable. Yet it is true because of the great mercy and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has done everything for our salvation. Our part is only to believe and keep on believing, to lean hard upon God and keep on leaning, to trust in the Lord with all our heart and keep on trusting. Live like Abraham, man of faith, a heaven-bound man and a sojourner whose heart was firmly set on eternity. Abraham found his heart's desire in God, and we can do the same by following his example. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G A U D E T E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. 
you may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.